As we enter the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, a season like no other will have more epic twists and turns in the coming weeks. First time the Battle of Florida rivalry means so much more than regular season pride. For the first time in a very long time, an original six rivalry has been reignited. Edmonton and Winnipeg have also renewed acquaintances, and in the middle of all that, we get to witness two never-before-seen playoff tests. Who shall emerge and who has what it takes to go all the way? Episode 269 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And as we've already buried the lead, we're talking playoff previews today. Yay! Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of exciting. It's it's also a little bit weird when you see, like, Calgary and Vancouver are playing tonight, for instance. Or, like, yesterday, Vancouver and Edmonton played. More of a shot to the gut yeah. for them, if I'll be honest. I know, it's I know. like, you could have been here if you tried harder enough. But, right, right, right. It's just... Then if, you get to play at your meaningless games while the rest of the NHL plays along without you. Right, it's just it just adds a weird element to it all. But, um, but it is kind of... It's still exciting. And when I was watching the game last night, the Bruins and Capitals game, um, it was like... I got the chills, like, I actually, like, got really, like, I was starting to get really nervous, which only happens when I'm watching playoff hockey, um, and I didn't really get that last year in the bubble, but I think it just, like, the fact that, like, you could see fans there, even though they're, most of these stadiums, I think all of them maybe, are gonna be at, like, 25% capacity, um, so, so that kind of adds this own element to it where you're starting to be like, oh, this is actually serious. And mm-hmm. um, it just like immediately it felt like it was playoff hockey is, is like back. And I didn't get that sense last year. I mean, obviously it is, you know, it happened and all that stuff, but I didn't get that same like emotion that makes playoff hockey so special. Um, and so it was, uh, it was a good feeling, but it was... So it's good to have that back, but it's still, um, obviously, we'll talk about it, but, uh, yeah, the, um, unfortunately, the Bruins lost that game, but it was, uh, it was definitely, like, oh, right, I remember when I used to get nervous after every shot, <laughs> so, um, one way or another, so it was, uh, it was good to have that back, and also, I hate that feeling, too, so, uh, As a sense fan, yeah. I don't really care, because my team's not involved, yeah. and honestly, as a playoff hockey consumer, that's probably the best thing. When you have right. no dog in the fight and you can just sit back and observe. No, I know. Just like, yeah, this game goes forward sides. I don't care who wins. I just well, want to be entertained. Well, that, that, I think that was the other thing that played into it is like when, like usually, like when I, there, so there's been two OT games um, so far, and mm-hmm. uh, which kind of just shows how close these uh, series are going to be. I think we In all fact, knew that. I think the first two playoff games, period, yep. both went to OT. Well, that's, I mean, oh, yeah, I guess by the time you're hearing this, there'll be uh, three games that played. And Vegas and um, Minnesota may may end up going to overtime, too, so we'll see, but um, who knows. Um, so, yeah, so the first two games went into overtime, but, like, one of those games was, involved my team, and I, like, I could barely watch and 
but like when it was the Pittsburgh Islanders uh, OT game, I was just like, like I was, you know, I was like I was looking forward to it, but I, you know, I didn't feel the same way. I was just like, oh, like this is cool. When can I, you know, when is this gonna be over? Hopefully, it's not over by the time uh, we start recording or something like that. But uh, so it's just, it's just a different feel when it's not your team. So, um, I do envy you on that part, but obviously I don't at the same time. Um, so anyways, um, so let's, uh, let's get going here. Um, we're obviously going to talk about, um, the, um, we're going to start off with the East and we have for each series we're going to do, uh, we were each signed a storyline, um, or, you know, I, I got a storyline and, and Steve got a storyline for the other series in the division. Um, and then we'll do a prediction. We'll also do like, you know, just kind of like a, how, how do these two teams compare with one another, uh, to start. So, um, so I'll let, uh, since I'm doing the Boston and Washington series, uh, I'll let you start off with, um, with the Pittsburgh and Islanders uh, series preview. Um, what do you have? And yeah, I guess starting off with your, with, um, with how you think these teams compare. Yeah. So this is a, probably the most interesting series here because the New York Islanders for a portion of the season were near the top of their division. They had a very hot start and they kind of cooled off in the second half or so, mostly after the Anders Lee injury. But even still, record-wise, they're a pretty good team. And Pittsburgh enters as the number one seed in this series. I would call the Islanders a strong fourth matchup here. Uh, in terms of all-time head-to-heads between the Islanders and Penguins, this is the sixth matchup. The Islanders have won four of the five. The only one the Penguins won was 2013, and they made it uh, to the conference finals that year where they eventually got swept by the Bruins. I'm sure Brett will like that, which is why I added it. Yep. Uh, the Islanders this year in their season series with uh, they continued their trend of winning the six, two and zero against the Penguins this year only gave up 19 goals, but their penalty kill was 65% successful. Um, which leads me to believe that Pittsburgh did a fair bit of their damage on the power play and even strength the Islanders were simply the better team. Uh, the folks at Fort never lose uh, in Pittsburgh in four straight games back in 2019, eventually lost in round two to Carolina. That was the last playoff matchup between these two teams. Pittsburgh hasn't made it past the first round since 2018 when they beat Philly in the first round. Uh, the Islanders, since 2018, they missed the playoffs in 2018, made it back in 2019, made it to round two. Last year in the playoff bubble, they went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, as most of you remember. Um, heading into this series, the Penguins had won eight of their final ten games. The Islanders, they got points in six of their final ten, but only three of those were wins. So they won three of their final ten games there. On paper, you look at Pittsburgh and think, yeah, they're the team to beat, and I, I guess their depth offensively kind of speaks for itself. Jerry McCann has had a pretty good year. Brian Rust continues to put up points. Kasperi Kapanen has been 
a speedy threat for them up front. Yep. Jason Zucker, overall, I wouldn't call it a good season, but I think he's starting to turn it around a little bit. Jeff Carter started to catch fire, um, partially because he got a couple of good games in against Buffalo, but nevertheless, uh, a little bit of mojo going into the playoffs. That's obviously good. They also have Freddie Goudreau and Teddy Bluger, among other assets that can burn you in the bottom six. Um, so there's no doubt that they have the forward depth. And even on the back end, you look at the likes of John Marino and Brian Dumoulin, Cody Cece, yep. who's low-key had a pretty decent year for them. That's all fine and dandy. I don't know if they have what it takes to close out hockey games in the clutch. And that game against the Devils about a month or so ago is a prime example where Pittsburgh is up 6 nothing. And within a span of 20 minutes, almost blows it and is lucky to sneak out with a 7-6 to victory. If you can't close out a game against one of the weaker teams in your division, how are you supposed to find a way to shut down the New York Islanders off and score enough goals to solve their defense? It's a tall order. Yeah. This Islanders team, straight up, is built for playoff hockey. No team intimidates them. Certainly not the Penguins because they swept them before. And yes, a lot of those games were fairly close. But at the end of the day, you look at the total offense Pittsburgh generated in 2019 against that Islanders team. It was it was around a goal per game, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. Either way, not good enough to win a playoff series or even take one game from them. And to me... The goaltending situation in Pittsburgh hasn't really improved. Tristan Jerry's had his moments, both good and bad. Same with Casey DeSmith. You look at the tandem of Varlamov and Sorokin, they've been absolutely unbelievable for the Islanders. Um, so my prediction, I think the Islanders are going to win this in five games. Well. It's all going to come down to goaltending and which defense is able to hold the fort. And in these close games, games the fewest mistakes wins and the islanders are going to make the fewest and they're going to win the series wow yeah i i thought i knew you're not you're more critical of the pittsburgh penguins uh you didn't even have them making the playoffs uh at yeah. the beginning of the year so i i mm-hmm. kind of expected that but islanders and five seems kind of crazy to me but no um... what would have been crazy if i said they'd sweep yeah, well, which, yeah, but... Which could happen, but I think but Pittsburgh's still, offense will be alive enough to win them one game. True, but, like, Islanders in five, that means that you expect them to win one game, and you don't even expect it to be a close series. That's It, it could be close. All of the games could uh-huh. be one-goal games, but the Islanders proved today, in a seesaw yeah. game, they were able to come out on top, and they yeah, won 4-3 in overtime. Yeah, no, I guess, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll lean it up here. Um, that I think, um, like, you, you did that whole spiel. You didn't even mention Sidney Crosby, who has, um, who has like, an who's had... there's nothing more that needs to be said about Crosby. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you're, you're, you're counting out Sidney Crosby, which, which is weird because I'm the American here. Um, I guess it also shows how, like, how much I'm afraid of Sidney Crosby because I'm aware of how good he was in 2010 in that Olympics. Um, and he's having like, he's having like a resurgence. He had 62 points in 55 games. Of course, it's not like, he's not like a McDavid or McKinnon level anymore or Matthews anymore, but he's still really, really good and can control play. 
um, and change the games at will almost. Um, he also has a healthy Jake Gensel, um, who had 57 points in 56 games, which is pretty good. Obviously, um, uh, more than a point per game, um, which is impressive in this like you know in this division where you have teams like the Islanders, the Bruins, um, you know even uh, even the Rangers in some respects are like they have really good goaltending. So it's it's impressive that they could put up a ton of points like that. Um, and then um, yeah, I mean I guess like the island, I mean the the Sabers and the um, the, uh, the Devils are also in the division, but, um, and the Flyers are, we're kind of a weird team too, but anyways, um, it's still impressive that they were able to put up a ton of points like that. Um, and also like they've been like a really good team where, uh, throughout this whole season, Pittsburgh, um, like there wasn't really a moment in the season where they fell off. Uh, whereas for the Islanders, it really did seem like they fell off right after uh, Anders Lee gets injured. Um, and even like when, I mean, Kyle Palmieri, yeah, he gets two goals in game one. But like during the season, he hasn't been as um, as good as expected, uh, considering the trade that they got for him. Um, he only had four points in those 17 games. I don't think that's sustainable. Um the other interesting thing about the the game, so I don't think he'll get like two goals a game every time. Their offense isn't even like I mean up to snuff. Not to take anything away from Matthew Barzell, he's he's obviously really good. Josh Bailey's pretty good too, obviously, and and Brock Nelson, um, and then like you know Bouffvillier and Peugeot um, have their moments, but it's still um, it's still definitely so like. It's not comparable to the Penguins because they have Crosby, Gensel, Rust. Um, I didn't even mention Malkin. Um, I was looking at his stats because I thought he had an off year, but then I just looked again. He had 28 points in 33 games. That's pretty good. Um, Kasperi Kapanen, Teddy Bluger, uh, Brian Rust I mentioned, um, you know, add some good f forward depth, which is something that the Islanders don't really have. Um, I mean, I guess you have John Gabriel Peugeot, but... Um, but he's not, you know, I feel like uh, in terms of forward depth, I think the Penguins have have uh, the Islanders beat in that category. Um, I will say that I think the Islanders do have the Penguins beat just in goaltending. I, like, Tristan Jari was okay, but he wasn't great. I feel like if the Penguins are to lose this series, which is definitely possible, um, it's, it's going to be because Tristan Jari wasn't good. Um, and, but I, I still think that he'll be the guy. Um, so I'm going to say the Penguins are going to win it in seven games. Um, but, um, yeah, again, I, I, I'm not going to be surprised if the Islanders do defeat, um, the Penguins. Um, anyway, so what is your storyline? Um, plain, plain and simple, the storyline for this series I, I think it, it, it all comes down to, and I alluded to it uh, in my prediction, turnovers. Um, Cody Stacey, we've seen it with the Sens, we've seen it with the Leafs, untimely defensive turnovers. If Pittsburgh gets into that habit, 
where the Islanders are just forcing turnovers, it can only be like three or four times that the Islanders beat them. But if those turnovers happen in critical moments of the game and they put the Penguins on their heels, that's game set series right there. Right. So I think the, I think the team with the fewest giveaways is probably going to win this series for the most part. And it's, it's all going to start on the back end. They need to really limit the defensive turnovers. And the, I think that's going to be a tall order. When you look at the Islanders defense with Adam Pellick, with Ryan Pulak, with Scott Mayfield, it's probably one of the most underrated defenses in the league, but it's damn near effective. And you also have a young Noah Dobson in there too, who, Hey, who knows could, could elevate his game in the playoffs, but, um, I, I'm I I've been wrong to question the people of Fort Never Lose. I've been burned many times, and I'm not going to question them or Barry Trotz this time. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I, I I don't think I think that's the real X factor here is is Barry Trotz, and wondering how he's going to handle this because like you're right. Like I I I mean I I was telling you off the show, but like compared to all the other teams in the Eastern Division. For the Penguins, you have, like, star power and Crosby and Malkin. And, of course, you have, like, Jake Gensel, who's uh, who's going into his own in his own right. So, um, and uh, and then you have, like, uh, the Capitals. They have, like, Alex Ovechkin, um, Tom Wilson for bad ways, but he's also, like, pretty good um, as well. Uh, Backstrom, they have, like, you know, they have an established team. The Bruins are kind of in the same way. Of course, they have the Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron. Uh, they have, they just got Taylor Hall, so adding more to that star power. Tuka Rask is another star there. And so, um, whereas you when you look at like the Islanders, they don't really have, other than, other than Matthew Barzal, they don't really have a star um, now that Anders Lee is out. So it's like... Um, so it doesn't seem as, like, it feels like the Islanders are the bigger underdog um, compared to all the other teams in the division, um, which I think plays into it. But Barry Trotz is also a really, really good coach, so you can't really count them out at the same time. Um, all right, let's go to the Bruins and uh, the Washington Capitals series. Uh, Washington is the two seed. The Bruins are the three seed. Um, this is a, I feel like this is actually a pretty even matchup where I could see it going both ways. Um, I, I think the, the interesting thing though, is that, um, you know, so obviously, as I mentioned before, like Brad Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron, they're all on the same they're all on the same point, you know, they, they're they all really, really good, they all played really well, Brad Marchand, I mean, he's not going to win the Hart Trophy, uh, but he's going to be nominated, which is all I asked for, and if you remember, I think at the start of our podcast, we started this Brad Marchand Hart campaign, we called him Hart Marchand for a full year, um, and um, it's about five years later from that, and uh, we finally got it, I think Brad Marchand is going to get some hard trophy noms. Of course, he admits McDavid or Matthews, but I'm, I'm cool with Marshawn at least being recognized for, for being really, really good. He had 69 points in 53 games. 
Um, and I think also the thing that's that's noteworthy for the Bruins is yes, they lost. Uh, well, I guess two things. Yes, they lost Chara. Yes, they lost um, Tory Krug. Um, but their defense has actually not been so bad. Uh, Charlie McAvoy has stepped up in a big way, as I've mentioned before. Uh, Matt Grislick has been pretty good, too, uh, when he's when he's healthy. Uh, Brandon Carlos, another one. Jeremy Lazan, he had eight hits in game one, which is insane. Um, and he really, like, ended up being that, like, um, Johnny Boychuk-type player. Sean Thornton, I know he's not a defenseman, but... <laughs> like that, that play, like Andrew Ference type player. That's like he's a depth player, but if he can, like, he can kind of stir some uh, stuff out on the opposing teams, and that's what you want with this Capitals team that also has a bunch of heavy hitters. Um, and uh, you know, Mike Riley is also good. The other interesting thing about the Bruins is that they also, when they got Taylor Hall. When, uh, when they get Mike Riley, um, it's just all of a sudden the Bruins are a different team because then you get David Krejci getting going, Craig Smith has been getting going, um, and it's not just like like game taking game one even though the Bruins lost. Brad Marchand, Pasternak, and Bergeron were all terrible. Um, well, Pasternak had a couple of shots on goal, but like, Bergeron and Marshawn like combined for one shot on goal in game one, which is not acceptable. Um, but like, there's also the factor that Krejci, Craig Smith, uh, Taylor Hall were were in the mix as well. Um, although they have to be better as well. Uh, you have Nick Ritchie who gets the goal. D- Jake DeBrusque who scores the goal too. So it's like, even though those six players didn't get a goal. They were still in it. They still got into overtime. Um, obviously, the Bruins need to, um, you know, get those guys going in order to to actually win the game. But um, I'll take like you know losing a a road game uh, in overtime on the first game. So um, all you need to win is one game for the Bruins, and and you and I have faith that we'll win all our home games. And that's all you need. It doesn't matter how you do it, just as long as you win four four games of these seven. So um, that's that's how it works. Um, as for, I do want to talk about the Washington Capitals, and then I'll let you go, and then we'll do storylines. Um, but, um, yeah, for the Capitals, it's, you know, obviously you have um, Alex Ovechkin, who's finally getting hot and finally getting going. Um, he's been He's been really good. Uh, of course, and then Nick Backstrom, who's having like kind of a low-key, like a really, really good year. Uh, 53 points in 55 games. Uh, John Carlson's also really good. Uh, TJ Yoshi, I almost said Yoshi. Um, TJ Yoshi has been also pretty good too. Um, and then you have like uh, Tom Wilson, who plays on the edge and um, is it's definitely going to make some dealings, but that's going to be uh, I'm foreshadowing uh, talking about him because uh, uh, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Justin Schultz um, has also been low-key pretty good, um, and they have, like, a bunch of good heavy hitters. They finally, got, you know, Zidzino Chara um, adds a good blend to them, and I was thinking about this last night, too, is that, like, they they added, got, like, Zidane Chara, um uh, Anthony Mantha, um, just 
like, you know, I'm sure there's other guys. Brendan Dillon is another one um, who, like, they just, like, add, like, a bunch of, like, grit and toughness. Uh, TJ Oshie's another one. Tom Wilson, of course. Um, and, like, they just add a bunch of, like, uh, like things that you actually, like, need in the playoffs where it's, like, um, yes, they can score and, yes, they can contribute contribute defensively as well, but, um, but they're going to be tough to play against. And that's the tough thing. Um, the thing with Washington, though, that does have me concerned, um, even if they do end up winning the series, is uh, what's going to happen with their goaltending situation. Um, it's Ilya Samsonov. Uh, you know, he's in COVID protocol. I think he just got out of it, so we'll probably see him um, for game two uh, on Monday. Um, and then you have Vitek uh, Vanacek, who's who started off really well, but then he started to kind of fade away towards the end. Um, and then you have a 908 save percentage. Uh, so Vitek Vanacek has a 908 save percentage and a 2.69 GAA. Um, and Samsonov also has a 2.69 GAA, and then he has a but he has a 0.902 save percentage. Um, that's not going to cut it when, uh, you have, you have to worry about Bergeron, you have to worry about Pasternak, you have to worry about Bergeron, um, uh, sorry, Marshawn, <laughs> I said Bergeron twice, you have to worry about Hall, you have to worry about all these guys, so, uh, so that's, that, those stats are not going to cut it, um, of course, you could get in Craig Anderson, and, but, um, I think the reason, the, it's, the Bruins lost that game more than the, the Capitals won that game. Um, the Bruins just were terrible. It's what was the worst I've ever seen them since the trade deadline in game one. I expect them to be better, um, throughout this series. And if not, then they don't even deserve to <laughs> be in the playoffs. So, so that's how it goes. But, um, I'd like to think that the Bruins will win this series, um, so I'm going to go with Bruins in a seven. Um, I think it's going to be a tough series no matter what, but I think I have the Bruins in seven. Um, so uh, let's have your predictions, and then I'll, I'll get into the storylines. Cool. So this is the fourth all-time head-to-head meeting between these two clubs. Caps won two of those three. In the latest meeting, that was all the way back in 2012, game seven overtime, TD Garden. Boston loses. The defending champs are done. And uh, Joel Ward got the winner, and he's no longer playing in the NHL. So it just goes to show you how long ago that was. Uh, almost 10 years ago, in fact. Nine years ago, actually. Uh, season series caps were 4-4 four and four against Boston this year. Special teams-wise, however, they were very, very good. Their power play was 30% successful. Their penalty kill, 87.5%, even better. Um... In terms of the final 10 games of the regular season, Bruins went 6-3-1. Caps went on a 7-2-1 run in their final 10, so just a smidgen better than the Bruins. Uh, Getting back to Craig Anderson, though, um, I know the Bruins probably dug themselves a hole with all of their missed chances, and uh, Jake DeBrus was... uh, uh, acknowledged the impressive play of Craig Anderson, but also said, you know, we controlled our own destiny there and we probably could have beaten them. Right. Um, nevertheless, though, Craig Anderson's 
track record in the postseason has low-key been pretty good. Uh, he was the fourth oldest goalie in NHL history to win a playoff game in relief, stopping 21 shots after Vanchuk got hurt. 39 years old today in, um, I think it's May 21st, this coming Friday, he'll be turning 40. Yep. And uh, his last playoff win happened in May of 2017, around the same time. Uh, his career save percentage in the playoffs, which is 929, in NHL history, among goalies with at least 40-plus games played, his 929 save percentage, second all-time, which is pretty interesting. Like, top five alone is incredible. But second on that list, that's that's pretty good for a guy that, in 2013, his Sens beat the Habs. In 2017, his Sens beat the Bruins. In 2017, his Sens beat the Rangers. So that's three playoff series wins. That's it for Greg Anderson. There have been a couple of playoff runs, but not too many playoff series victories. And yet, in the short amount of time that he's been in the postseason, he's made the most out of his opportunities, and he's given his team chances to win knock games. So there's no doubt that nearing 40 years old, Craig Anderson could be a difference maker in this playoff series. I really do believe that. Um, but I think the Caps need exceptional outings from their goaltenders, not just average. Average is not going to do it, whether it's Craig Anderson or Vedek Vanacek or Ilya Samsonov or Phoenix Copley even. doesn't matter. They need outstanding goaltending to win this series. Just because of how good the perfection line is, as we all know, uh, if the Hall and Krejci line continue to roll, that's huge. And, hey, if Tukaras tr- uh, struggles, they have a young Jeremy Swayman. Yep. In his own right, has been pretty good in the NHL so far. So my prediction is Boston in six, not seven. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I'm glad that you have more faith in the Bruins than I do, but we'll see um i have less faith in in the caps goaltending situation as opposed to whether or not i have more faith in the bruins i mean i I think we touched on that both of that as well so yeah um yeah and i guess just uh before i get into the storylines i think the thing that's i kind of talked about it but like or i kind of alluded to it but like the fact that like the bruins had like 40 or i think they said like 30 missed shots that didn't even hit the goal um, I was like yeah. twenty plus, but yeah, it was it was a lot. I, I guess is the point. I don't know the exact <laughs> number, but it was a lot. Um, and that I mean, like it. So like, if the Bruins do lose this series, it's gonna be because like this is that that game's gonna be one where it's like, okay, damn, why why couldn't we just beat Craig Anderson or at least like pepper him with shots? Like he wasn't tested at all. It felt yeah, like, and know. and only played two games in yep. relief and made two starts prior yeah. to this. It's just like, and, and like, I know you love him, uh, Steve, but, uh, but Craig Ganderson isn't like the best goaltender. Um, it'd be different if this was like Dominic Hasek, even if he was 40 years old, it's like, we can beat a 40 year old goaltender. And if we can't, then we don't deserve to be here. So it's just, uh, that, that part is more frustrating. And, and, and I, I haven't really told you this, Steve, but, Bruins Twitter is going crazy because they felt like Tuka Rask lost this game. And it's like, yeah, I guess a lot of those goals were pretty bad and stuff that Tuka should have had. But um, if you're going to blame anyone for that loss, blame uh, Bergeron or, or Marshawn. 
or Taylor Hall or David Krejci, um, because they uh, didn't get any shots on goal. Uh, so yeah, and so, the, and the yeah. bridge fortuitous bounce yeah. that magically found its way. In yeah, the- yeah, and like, and like the only forward that I'm not really upset with is Jake DeBrusque, which is funny because like I was the most upset with him during the regular season. So it's like if uh, Jake DeBrusque was like a different player in the playoffs. Yeah, like he yeah. was. He was back checking, not yeah. just creating chances. He was back checking hard. It was it was crazy. So, uh, good for him. Hopefully, we see more of that. I, I think that's the thing with Debrusque is he's inconsistent. So, if we see more of that, like especially in the playoffs, just get that going. Um, also, like I feel like Charlie Coyle. He's been he was he's been pretty good in these playoffs. Um, the last couple of years, I wonder if they can um, get him going. That would that be a key thing for them too. So. Um, as for storylines, um, there's a couple of them, because this is an intriguing storyline, even if I wasn't a Bruins fan. Um, the whole, like, we kind of talked, I could talk about the Vanacek, Samsonov, Anderson dilemma some more, and also the Rask and Swayman uh, dilemma some more as well, but uh, there's other things. Uh, Kuznetsov and Samsonov are also on the COVID list. I think Samsonov I just got off the COVID list, um, so I think he'll probably start game two, but Kuznetsov is and, still on. And this on. is the second time that Kuznetsov has yep. appeared on that list this and season. And Samsonov, I think too. Samsonov, too. Yep. Yeah, which, I, I, if this is the downfall of the Capitals yep. season, I think you need to have a stern talk yep. with Kuznetsov in particular. You can't yep. be putting the team in positions like this. Yep. Uh, there's also, I could talk about uh, Hall and Mantha being those like trade acquisition deals um and like are they the actual missing piece of for either of these teams um as they kind of both have added a different spark to both teams um but that's not the storyline of course chara is playing his former team of 14 years um when he was the bruins captain um and in fact i i'll i'd root for the caps because of chara just because of him um if they do end up beating the bruins but Tom Wilson is on that team, and that's our main storyline. Um, so, uh, if you weren't aware, and a big reason, like, I didn't really have a problem with Tom Wilson before this season. I think it was mostly just because, um, you know, like, I had him on my fantasy team for a couple of years. He's He kind of is a little bit like a Brad Marchand-type player. But, um, and, like, I know that he's had these questionable hits in the past, but I was like... I kind of overlooked it because it's not my team, and I know that's a little unfair, and that that's not how it should be. But uh, when he hit uh, Brandon Carlo and caused Carlo to miss a full month uh, due to injury, uh, due to a concussion, um, that that changed my whole mind on him because, like you know, you would think like as for uh, I've talked about Tom Wilson ad nauseum for the past two weeks. So I don't want to get into it again, but I do want to say, like, the fact that, like, Brian Marchand has also had some questionable hits in the past, but it does seem like he's been maturing in, um, in you know, since he's, he's gone on the, um, in the last couple of years, and he's not as chippy as he used to be, or as pesty as he used to be, um, and he's good in his own right, um, especially this season, um, but... Like, for Tom Wilson, he hasn't done that yet. 
Um, he, he is also, he's obviously really, really good. He's had like 20 goals in the last couple seasons that weren't shortened. He had 13 goals this year, 33 points in 47 games, but he's still, um, a, uh, I don't know how to say it without swearing, but he's a, he's, he stirs the pot. He's a, he's a, he's a stir. Um, and, uh, that, that can be good in the playoffs, but all eyes are going to be on him, especially with what happened to uh, him on the Rangers. Uh, this is a team that, uh, this is a Bruins team that isn't the biggest fan of Tom Wilson, especially with that Carlo incident, uh, a couple of, um, months ago, as I alluded to. So it's like that part of that is going to be pretty interesting, especially when I mentioned that Brad Marchand's on the Bruins. Um, he also kind of <laughs> is a pest in his own way. Um, so he could still be like that thing. And I, I envision that there'll be one controversy that's going to involve either Tom Wilson or Brad Marchand or both of them in this series. Um, and that's going to be the most like, and like, even if I if I wasn't a Bruins fan, I'd be watching this series just to see what Tom Wilson or Brad Marchand is going to do. Because um, even though like they're the the two worst people in the world, um, that everyone who's not a Bruins fan, in Marchand's case, and if you're not a Tom Wilson fan, if you're in the Caps fa face, you're still going to watch him because like yes, they make questionable hits. And yes, they're they probably shouldn't be in the league for the for that reason. But they're also like really really good um, at hockey in the offensive point. Um, they're kind of like Todd Pertuzzi in a way. Um, so uh, so I think that's going to be my storyline because I think that's going to be the main reason that people are going to watch this series is uh, what's Tom Wilson going to do, what's Brad Marchand going to do, um, and. Um, and those are like you know those are important characters to have in these uh, in these playoffs as well. So, um, so that that's going to be my storyline as well. Yeah, the the thing with the Tom Wilson thing, and this is Brad Marchand before he was heart level Marchand. Of course, that's 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 yeah. level Marchand that Tom Wilson's at right now. Um, no. In terms of the whole Tom Wilson storyline. I think it's just proof he's got free real estate in every hockey fan said yep. that isn't Washington Capitals fans. Um and then the the final point uh, that I will make on this is the Bruins are doing what Tom Wilson is doing and that's targeting Washington star players. You see Jeremy Lozon going after Ovechkin yep. And Although right after that's what the Bruins need to do to frustrate the Capitals. Yeah. They need to frustrate their top guys. I will say though, on that front though, it's like Ovechkin was like killing the Bruins. He was doing the same thing to the Bruins. Well, he was yeah, going after he was everyone. throwing his weight around for yeah. sure, for sure. I, I'm I just saying, it's like think, uh, Lozon no. and Miller double teaming him was a yeah. tad excessive. No, yeah, it was a little bit, but I I will say that it, it was worth it because I think. Ovechkin was like he was basically like charging every every Bruin mm -hmm. in his sight so um he kind of like has to like know that like he, it's like a way of defending yourself it's like hey like 
like sure True, like, but he, yeah you, you looked at Ovechkin after that series of cross checks that he took he he looked pretty red in the face oh yeah yeah like, I mean he had just about enough no no I, he, I I guess I, I'm just saying is that it's it's not like Ovechkin's like this innocent player he was he was yeah, no no I, 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 I totally get that yeah, yeah but you're looking at a guy that's the leader of that team that obviously is very good at scoring goals and you need to get him off his game especially if right. Guys like Tom Wilson chip in with two points right. and assist on the OT winner. Like, th- there's no denying that Alex Ovechkin is one of the greatest scorers to ever walk the face of the earth. The last thing you want is to get him going. So you you need to get him off his game and you need to set the tone right away from the start of the series. And I feel like to an extent the Bruins were able to do that. The problem is I don't know if that makes Ovechkin more dangerous to contain because some guys play better when they're mad. And uh, I haven't seen a mad, angry Ovechkin take over a game in a while. So I'm hoping it if, if you're a Bruins fan that uh, what the Bruins did in game one doesn't have the reverse effect where Ovechkin just all of a sudden becomes an absolute monster on skates and just terrorizes your team and scores a bunch of goals. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That's, you know, obviously Ovechkin's, the most dangerous he's still the most dangerous skater in the league i guess mcdavid's probably scarier at this point but yeah well he's, uh, he, but he's there's he, hardly anyone on mcdavid's level yeah he's no he's does. still he's still scaring his own right though so uh yeah, so there's yeah. that to uh to be interested in um yeah uh it should be interesting and it's it's also interesting too from like the perspective that like washington has um as I've mentioned before, they have Ovechkin, they have Tom Wilson, uh, then now they have Chara, who all like are very intimidating players, um, and then for Boston, you have Brad Marchand, um, you have, now you have Jeremy Lazan, Nick Ritchie is getting in the mix sometimes, Trent Frederick, if he plays, he's another yeah. one of those uh, stir, stir the pot, pot stirs. I guess that's what I'm going to say instead of yeah, the, and, 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 and you know, maybe so the counter yeah. to what Tom Wilson's trying to do as well because I know they yeah. have mammoth battles in the regular season too. Yeah, so so I think it will be um, an intense way of doing that. Um, so it'll be a, an intense series both ways just because of those players that I just mentioned. All right, we have to get going though. Um, <laughs> if we don't want this to get too long it's probably be a two-hour thing but we don't want it to be like two yeah. hours we, and we like talked about minutes. your bruins affair but yeah, yeah, that yeah. took up exactly. most of the time yeah. <laughs> exactly um yeah i just looked and i realized like we're 40 minutes in i'm like geez what the hell <laughs> we've only got through like yeah, yeah. exactly so um so now we go to the west division here oh so oh, no, i guess we should we'll do the um we'll do the final four um at the end um yeah, we'll do the final yeah. four at the very end yeah Colorado and St. Louis are is the next series we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, Col- this is an interesting um, thing because you have Colorado, who is a, you know, they've been a juggernaut um, for the last couple of years, um, and especially this year when, you know, Philip Gruber, he had a 923 save percentage of 1.95 goals against average. But, of course, uh, like, you have Nathan McKinnon, who's who's really good. Miko Rantanen has stepped it up. Gabriel Landeskog has also stepped it up, too. Of course, they have Kale McCarr. And then in terms of depth, they have Andre Burakovsky, who's who's kind of proved that last year wasn't a fluke. Nazem Kadri, who 
gets who's also pretty good too and has his moments. Um, Sam Gerrard has kind of had a breakout year as well on the defensive side of things. I mentioned Kale McCarr, of course, um, and he's really good. But yeah, it's it's definitely you know even like Val Nichushkin, Brandon Saad, uh, like Ryan Graves is another one. It's just like they have a they have a lot of good depth as well as obviously they have like really good players and Ranton and McKinnon, Landis Cog and Kel McCarr. So, um, so they're, they're pretty good. Um, of course with Grubauer, um, he's been really good with his GAA that's under two. Um, and I mean, I guess the only like weakness that I feel like the avalanche have is their backup goaltender. And that's not a big issue when in the playoffs, you're not going to be playing that many back-to-backs, and you can just rely on Philip Grubauer. Um, and and that's what the Colorado Avalanche kind of need uh, for this um, for this playoffs. And I think, I, I have faith that Grubauer will be that guy, at least for this round. Um, as for the Blues, um, they have uh, Jordan Bennington, who's kind of... He hasn't. He's kind of been a mix of the last two years, where he he was like in the middle of that, uh, where he was. He's kind of been actually no. I think when I look at his team uh, or his his stats, he's gotten worse and worse. But he's still he's still decent. He has a two point six five GAA and a nine ten save percentage. Um, and then you have you know uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Of course, David Perron, who stepped it up big time. Uh, he has 58 points in 56 games. Mike Hoffman has has been a really good acquisition. They got on the offseason uh, 36 points in 52 games. Brandon Shen, of course, is really good. Uh, he hits a lot, too, um, and it is, is valuable for that in the, in the playoffs. Uh, Jordan Cairo has been pretty good, too, or has kind of taken it on his own now. Uh, Tory Krug, of course, Justin Falk, um, a bunch of these guys, and uh, not even mentioning that Ter- Vladimir Tarasenko um, has also started to play a bit. Um, 14 points in 24 games, and that's not what we expect him to be, but he's still been pretty decent. Um, so before I get into the storylines, oh, oh, I guess I should say, but I don't think compared to... The blue uh, compared to the Avalanche, I feel like the Avalanche are on a different level than the than the Blues are. So I'm gonna go with I think I don't want to say that they're gonna the Avs are gonna sweep them because I feel like I hate predicting those kind of things. But I will say that I think the Blues are gonna win at least one game. So I think that I got the Avalanche in five games. Um, so um, yeah. So what what is your take on this series, and then we'll get I'll get into my own storylines here. So the one thing the Blues have going for them is their play down the stretch. They've been heating up big time. Uh, you look at the likes of Ryan O'Reilly, who said himself that they have what it takes to beat the Avs, and they're very confident they can beat the Avs. Um, Braden Shen's also turned it up another notch. So has David Perron, although he's in COVID protocol now, which uh oh. Right. That could be bad news for the Blues. Uh, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, they've been inconsistent, but they picked it up offensively in the final weeks of the season. Overall, another inconsistent player has been Mike Hoffman. 
Um, if he gets it going, though, the Blues um, are going to be tougher to contain, power play, and even strength. Bennington, you mentioned his season stats. They don't look too glamorous, but if you look at them since April 1st, looks like he's starting to turn a corner a bit. 8-4-3 record with a 2.44 GAA, a 9.21 save percentage, and that's without any shutouts. So pretty promising numbers there. Uh, in terms of playoff history, not too much playoff history to speak of. This is the first time since 2001 these two teams have squared off, and that was the only time they squared off was 2001. Colorado won that series, ended up winning the Stanley Cup with Ray Bork. Um, this year, the Avs also have the Blues number. They took five of eight from them, and like their power play does against every team, they score a lot. They clicked at 84.2% over that eight game stretch. Um, so I think overall Colorado, final 10, Colorado was just as hot winning five straight, winning the president's trophy. And, and they looked the part when you look at the guys that have stepped up their play, Tyson Jost, JT Confer in the final week or so were pretty good. That's to compliment the guys they already have like Andre Burakovsky Nazem Kadri, Brandon Schlaud, Valerie Nichushkin, Jonas Donskoy. And, of course, you have that deadly trio of McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen. And the first name I mentioned, maybe it's just against Arizona, but he's not afraid to back down from any post-whistle scrums. So I think overall, yeah, backup goaltending is probably their one weakness, but you just look up and down at the many strengths that Colorado has – it's tough for me to look at that team and say, yeah, the Blues are going to beat them. Like, the Blues have the Stanley Cup experience. They've won the Stanley Cup. A lot of the guys from that 2019 roster are still there. Even without Petrangelo, they still have a pretty good team that knows what it takes to win. But it's tough for me to look at them and say, yeah, they're going to overpower this Red Hot Abs team. I think it's Abs and Six. Abs and Six, okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Um. As for storylines, I um, it, it's interesting because I I we we assign this where it's like okay I get the Bruins you like Mark Stone so you get the Vegas series, um and then I end up getting I, I guess spoiler alert I'm getting the Florida series and the Toronto Montreal series and like those are very interesting matchups as well but like the Colorado St Louis one I feel like isn't as intriguing as the other one so I had a like, this was the one that I was like, I'm not sure if I, I have a storyline for this. Um, the only one that I think is kind of intriguing, though, is Jordan Bennington, just in general. Um, when you look at his stats, um, and I, I alluded to this when I was talking about this series, uh, you have um, you have a 9, like, he has a 9-10 save percentage this year with a GAA of 2.65, um, then, uh, last year he had a nine twelve save percentage and a 2.56. Um, and then his rookie year, um, he had a nine twenty seven save percentage and a 1.89 and of course won the cup that year. So it's like, it's weird cause he's getting worse every single year. Um, and I'm starting to wonder, um, if like how, like just the consistency factor of Jordan Pennington, cause like. If you just took what he was capable of in his rookie year, um, you know, he would be, like, a really good goaltender. 
but like he's kind of, like he was decent his second year and then he was okay his third year so now i'm just wondering and he sort of picked it up towards the end of the year in order to make the you know in order to make the st louis blues make it to the playoffs but he he just it's like the Blues run is going to be fully dependent on if Bennington is going to be able to get that magic um, uh, two years ago, like that that he had two years ago. So, um, and he was a big reason why they lost last year um, in the postseason. So, so yeah, it will be interesting to see um, what Jordan Bennington are we going to get? The one that won the cup or the one that, basically made the blues go out in five games the next year. So, um, so that, that I'm kind of intrigued about is like how, how good Bennington will be, uh, this year. Cause we've gotten like the, the worst side last year. And then we got the best version of him his first year, um, which book Jordan Bennington will be see. And I, that I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be the king of all storylines in this series is um, the overall play of Jordan Bennington because I definitely think it becomes a seven-game, anything-goes type of series if he is able to play at that elite level that he was playing at in 2019 when they were on on that incredible run. Um, If I had to pick a storyline, it would probably be just who's going to win the defensive battle. Like on St. Louis, you have Vince Dunn. You have Justin Falk, you have Gordon, Colton Pareko, you have Tori Krug. Just a lot of defensive depth there. And yet, with the Avs, you probably have some of the best defensemen in the game, not including Eric Johnson. You have Kale McCarr, you have Bone Byram in the mix, I guess, but yep. you also have Ryan Graves and Devin Taves. Sam Girard. Lo- yeah, Sam Girard, too. And, and those guys... Um, I think could really stir up the offense too, especially yep. shots from the point uh, that allows forwards like Kadri to get in front of the net, do their thing. And you also have elite snipers like McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog to look out for. And that team is able to really cause a lot of havoc with the amount of penalties they draw and the amount of power play time they get. And I think in those situations, the defense uh, can play a big role there. So uh, I also think that is a battle worth watching is which defense shines brightest offensively and defensively. Right. Yeah. That, that's a good point. I think defense is kind of both their strengths, but um, I feel like the forward group for Colorado is that much more stronger um, mm-hmm. than St. Louis. And I guess the goaltending too. So I, I just think the Colorado is a better team. Um, all right. So, um, I, I did mention this because uh, I, I gave you Vegas because you love Mark Stone. I, I assume that's the team that you're going to be rooting for in these playoffs, right? Yeah, certainly one of the teams, that's for okay. sure. Um, and and this, this, series, this series is something that I'm actually looking forward to because Minnesota has actually done a very good job against Vegas yep. uh, in some areas. And this is um, – sorry? No, 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 sorry. I, I, I was just, I, yeah, sorry, go on. I thought you were going to add to something, but okay. No, that's um, fine. So this is the first time, obviously, because Vegas has only been in the league oh. for four seasons now. Oh, well, well I, I, these teams are squaring off. I do, yeah, I do have something to add before you go. Okay. Is that currently, 
the uh, the wild and the you were saying that they were uh, you know that Minnesota kind of gives Vegas uh, some fits. Uh, currently, uh, it's zero zero and it's heading into overtime. So the third straight playoff game is heading into overtime. But yes, I'll do let you, you do you um do you know the shots on goal cuz you told me I'll, via I'll email that, that it was 30 to 18 Vegas after two periods. Um I'll look at that while you you finish your spiel and then I'll, I'll okay, let you cool. know when I talk. <laughs> cool. Uh Cam Tell in particular really had Vegas's number. Kapokakinen's had some pretty good games against them too. Uh, it's the first ever meeting between these two teams. Uh, four straight appearances for Vegas in four years of existence. Wish all expansion teams had that kind of a luxury. But, uh, yeah, they they enter uh, the playoff series winners of seven of the last ten games. They were actually ahead of Colorado, but due to tiebreakers, they had to settle for second and came up short of the President's Trophy. Uh, but still, top three team in the league. That's what Minnesota is dealing with here. Uh, but Minnesota heading into uh, their final two regular season games, 7-1-2. and two. And then they lost both of those matchups to the Blues. So they didn't exactly head in on the right note. Um, and in the season series against Vegas, uh, which was eight games, Vegas outscored Minnesota 24-23. to However, when you look at the record, Minnesota went 5-1-2 and two against the Golden Knights. So they were able to eke out a lot of close one-goal victories. And in two others, uh, they were able to get uh, a point in the overtime shootout loss. Uh, so regardless of the situation, Minnesota is able to hang around, make something out of nothing, and give Vegas just absolutely everything they can handle. And Kirill Kaprizov in particular had his big moments uh, down the stretch, secured the Calder Trophy in the final 10 to 14 days, uh, I would argue anyways. Yeah. Uh, just the way he was able to score big-time goals, uh, set up big-time goals as well. He, he did everything you could possibly ask of him. And in just those crucial situations, he was money for them. Um, and then you also had the unsung heroes that have come up big for Minnesota as well. Uh, we talked about Kevin Fiala, of course. Uh, Jordan Greenway, Joel Erickson Eck, who's looked awesome this year. Um, but you also have Ryan Hartman and Nick Bonino um, coming up big in those situations. Victor Rask even has been able to step up and deliver. And that's saying something when you consider where his game was at a couple of years ago. Um, that being said, you look at the top six that Vegas has to roll out and um, Stone and Patch ready on the wings. Chandler Stevenson down the middle. That's a solid number two line that gives Vegas an inside edge. That keeps Marchessault and Riley Smith together. That keeps the chemistry together. Um, on the back end, you have Shea Theodore, who's been great again. Alec Martinez, who's had a very underrated season for Vegas. And Alex Petrangelo, the key piece of their offseason additions. And he really didn't offensively make a big impact, but there's no doubt that he can be a leader for this team. And that's the kind of leadership uh, that Vegas really needs. They need a guy that is a, a proven leader, a guy that's been in the captaincy situations that Mark Stone hasn't been in before. And that's something that they can really lean on in those big games. 
And on top of that, you also have the tandem of Fleury and Leonard, where no matter who's in the net, it seems they're able to win hockey games on a consistent basis. Similar with Talbot and Kakinen, but Fleury and Leonard have played at elite levels. So I think similar to the Islanders and the Penguins series, every single one of these games could be decided by a goal. Yep. But I think, and more often than not, Vegas is going to prevail, and they're going to get uh, some of the good karma they didn't get during the regular season against Minnesota. I'm going to say Vegas in five. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. And you just said that you feel like every game is going to be decided by a goal. Joel yep. Erickson Eck just got the game winner, and so Minnesota <laughs> wins game one. Uh, so I guess that's going to be the one game that you think <laughs> that Minnesota is going to win. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yeah they could, now, now Vegas just wins four straight from here. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the shot totals was uh, 42 to 30. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess uh, Minnesota picked it up since we were recording. Um, and, right. and clearly it, it didn't end up mattering because <laughs> uh, Minnesota ended up winning that game. And, um, and again, yeah. it's a testament to the tandem of Talbot and Kakanen and yeah. how good they've been this year. That basically won them the game. It was funny because like, I, I was like I was wondering, it's like I bet this game's going to be over as soon as like I finish talking as, about it. Yeah. <laughs> or like as soon as yeah. like you, you start saying it. So I'm glad that yeah. didn't happen. Podcast jinx never fails. Yep. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, so in terms of, um, I think, yeah, I, I think you, you touched on a lot of good points and stuff that I was going to talk about, too. Um, I think the things that are interesting for me is, for, uh, I'll, I'll start with Vegas uh, to start. Um, yeah, they have a really good team. Obviously, you have Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. Um, even Nick Haig has stepped it up uh, big time. Brady McNabb's another one, Alex Martinez, of course, as well. So they they have a pretty good a list of players. Um, and then, of course, you have Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Marcheseau, um, Alex Tuck, Riley Smith are all pretty good. But the thing that, like, when I mention those forwards, like, none of those guys are centers. Um, I mean, of course, Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson have been pretty good, but I feel like eventually that's going to be their downfall. I don't think it's going to be their downfall this series, but I think like when they start to play Colorado, that's going to be their downfall is that like Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson aren't going to be at the same level as Nathan McKinnon and Nazem Kadri are. Um, so that's just yeah. something to look forward to um, in the next couple of series. Um, but maybe not this year. Cause I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. Um, also it's kind of interesting too, is like, we all thought that I remember at the start of the season and especially that whole, like Mark Andre Fleury, um, like, uh, his agent was like, had like a thing with the, like he felt like the GM was stabbing Fleury in the back and, Mm -hmm. um, because they got, ended up getting Robin Leonard last year and he ended up being like more of the starter, but this year, uh, well, I guess in partly to do with the fact that Robin Leonard was, like, injured for half the year. But this year, Mark andre Fleury has been fantastic. Uh, 9.28 save percentage and a 1.9 HEAA in 36 games. He's definitely getting the Masterton. He'll probably get some Vezina votes as well. Of course, you're playing, like, a bunch of these teams are, 
are like the California teams in Arizona. So like you have to keep that in mind that it wasn't really a great division, but still like Minnesota, Colorado, St. Louis are nothing to sneeze at because you're also playing those teams as well. So, um, so that's impressive. And whereas like Robin Leonard in his 19 games, he hasn't been, um, he's been okay, but he hasn't been as good as we expect him to be. Uh, he has a 9.13 save percentage and a 2.29. So I'll be interested in that development as well. Um, as for Minnesota, before I uh, give it back to you for the storyline, um, Minnesota is, is, is the other thing that's interesting about Minnesota is like last year we thought like, you know, Minnesota was like on the verge of a rebuild. Um, that's kind of like all their moves kind of suggested that. Um, and it's kind of tough to do that, especially when they have Ryan, guys like Ryan Suter, Zach Parise with their like large contracts, even Matt Zugarella as well. But here's the thing, like, I think the Wild are actually better than what they're going to do. I think they could surprise. Um, especially with the addition of Kirill Kaprizov. He has 51 points in 55 games. Uh, Kevin Fiala um, has kind of been a little bit underrated. Um, 40 points in 50 games this year. Matt Zuccarello, um, we were all cr critical of his contract. It's still a little bit expensive. But he's, you know, he's kind of proved that he's at least worth that much money. 35 points in 42 games. Jordan Greenway's been pretty good, too. Uh, Joel Erickson-Eck, clearly he, he gets the OT winner. He's also been, you know, had his moments. And, like, uh, the other thing that's, like, Kaprizov's been so good that he's able to make Victor Rask into, like, someone. <laughs> and that was something that... Could not be so, like I kind of forgot that he was in the league last year, so so that's that's like an achievement on in its own right. Is that like Kaprizov was so good his rookie year that Victor Rask is somehow pretty good. Uh, Nick Benino has also stepped it up. Um, Nick Bustad has his moments as well. Of course, I didn't even mention like uh, Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, Ryan Suter, Jonas Brodeen. Um, that's a, like, those are like an underrated defensive core. I feel like Minnesota is just underrated. Like it should just be Minnesota underrated. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, and also like as established in game one, Cam Tablet, Talbot, Tablet, Cam Talbot, uh, stopped 42 shots. Um, none of them went in. <laughs> so, uh, he's been incredible. Um, and not to mention, like, Capo Kakinen's also been pretty good when he's he's been in. Not as good as Talbot's been, but uh, he's been pretty good too. So I do think Vegas is going to win, but I don't think it's going to be Vegas in five. I think it's going to be Vegas in, uh, what do I have here? I have Vegas in seven. Um, I think yeah. it's, it's going to be um, a close series throughout and a long series at that. Um, so what is your storyline, Steve? Um, my storyline is probably finding ways to solve Minnesota's goaltenders because you look at Minnesota's power play, it hasn't been that great. Vegas just hasn't been that great either. And like like you said, I can't tell again fits in game one. There were a couple of times in the regular season where that trend continued. Um, so basically get in his kitchen and – that's where I think the fourth line, guys like Ryan Reeves, guys like William Carrier, 
can really make a difference for Vegas because that's that's something that Minnesota do, doesn't really have or can match up with. Like, sure, you have guys like Marcus Foligno and Ryan Hartman that can mix stuff up. None can do it to the quality that Ryan Reeves can do it. And none really have the size that Ryan Reeves has. So I think that fourth line is going to be one of many ways that um, Vegas tries to take advantage in this series. And they're going to have to because if Cam Talbot gets in a groove, um, the series could be over sooner than we think. And Vegas, now that they've dropped that first game, they really need to make a statement in the second game and moving forward. Yeah, that's very true. I think Cam Talbot has the potential to steal a series, but uh, we'll see. Um, All right. Now we're going to the Central Division here. Uh, Carolina and Nashville um, is going to be the the first thing. Uh, you have this one, so I'll I'll take it take it to you uh, to do the predictions, and then I'll you know we'll do it how we usually have done it. Well, prior to this year, um, this would be a Stanley Cup Finals matchup, but because the East and the West are kind of intertwined in this very weird division, we get this as a first-round matchup. Uh, First time ever these two teams have squared off in Stanley Cup playoff history. In the season series, they squared off plenty, and Carolina prevailed six of eight times against Nashville. The power play was also pretty darn good for Carolina. They clicked at 34.6% in those eight tilts. Um, in terms of division titles in Hurricanes history, I think their last one came in 05-06. Spoiler alert, they won the Cup that year, so that's a pretty good track record to, that the Canes can probably build on. Although they didn't enter the playoffs on the best of notes, they uh, actually went into the season on a three-game slide. A couple of losses to Nashville here and there as the Preds went 7-2-1 and in their final 10 games, but uh, they did have some games against Detroit here and there. And also, I don't think they were really getting Carolina's best. And I think you're definitely going to see Carolina's best uh, in this series. Overall, I think when I see the Preds, I see a very hot and cold offense, if if, if that's putting it mildly. Uh, Matt Duchesne, good hockey player, but his play has been up and down. Same with Ryan Johansson. Same with Victor Arvidsson. At times, Philip Forsberg, although I think he's been one of their better players this year, they have reputations to be streaky forwards. When they get going, they're very tough to stop. Matias Ekholm and Roman Yossi, they've stepped it up in the second half, and Saros has been their backbone, as we discussed a few episodes ago. Just an absolute monster since mid-February. That needs to continue in order for Nashville to even have a shot at forcing a seventh game. Um, And that's because the Canes have the advantage in so many ways in this series. For starters, their forecheck, just absolutely unbelievable. Their top six is unbelievable. You have guys like Vincent Trocek, Martin Nakash, Nino Niederreiter, um, Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Sveshnikov, Tivo Teravainen hasn't been the healthiest all year. What happens if he gets going? There's another element you have to worry about. And you also have the likes of uh, Morgan Geeky and uh, Warren Fogle to keep an eye on, too. They can be very dangerous stars. And their defense, similar to Colorado's, is just loaded from top to bottom. You have a young Jake Bean, Breck Pesci, who's been in the league for a bit, Brady Shea, who's been in the league for a bit, same with Jake Gardner, and Dougie Hamilton leading the charge and having one of the best offensive seasons of his career. So I think... 
UC Saros is going to steal a couple of games for the National Predators. He's not going to steal an entire series. There's there's no chance of that happening. So I think Carolina in six games. Carolina in six. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the, the thing that's interesting about this series is I feel like both goaltenders have the potential to steal to steal the series for them. Um, but I think when you were what you were saying is that like like I think Carolina has better forwards. Um, I mean the defense is a little bit similar. Uh, of course you have like uh, Dougie Hamilton and uh, Brett Pesci and uh, Jacob Slavin, who seems to pick it up in the playoffs as, as usual. Brady Shea is some, another one. Um, but, like, Nashville has Roman Yossi, Matthias Ekholm, um, and they kind of, like, picked it up towards the end of the year uh, in order to make it, and that a lot of that had to do with UC Saros, who we talked about a lot, and he should get uh, some Vezina votes. He probably won't win, but he should get some. Yeah, like it would be yep. nice for UC Saros to, uh, or for the Carolina Hurricanes goalies to seal a series. Yeah, they'll, they'll it's not a case where if they get like worst case scenario, yep. good goaltending, they can get good goaltending and win a series. Yep. Nashville needs superb goaltending to force a game seven and win. Right. Yeah, I think that, well, see, that's where I kind of disagree. Um, cause I think Nash, like, yes, I agree with you that like Sebastian Ajo, Vincent Trocek, Dougie, uh, Andre Sveshnikov, even like Nino Niederreiter, Jordan Stahl there and Tavo Teravainen, they're all better than what Nashville has in like, uh, Phil Forsberg, uh, Victor Arvidsson, Mikhail Granlund, Cal Yarncroft. But I, I think UC Saros has been like unbelievable and I could foresee something where, like, the Predators do, like, like make it really tough for the Hurricanes, uh, particularly because of UC Saros um, and the play of Roman Yossi. Uh, another thing, um, I, I kind of, um, I also really like the depth of Nashville, too. Um, Ely Tolvanen's another one. Uh, I guess yeah. Ryan Johansson hasn't been great, but Ely Tolvanen has had his moments this year. Um, I also am a big fan of Luke Kunin. Probably a little bit of a fantasy bias because I have him on a couple leagues, but he's also, he's kind of like, a, a, he's getting there to being like one of those good, reliable players. Um, so uh, Luke Kunin's another one. Eric Halla's another one. Um and, and I think, like, the Nashville Predators are kind of, like, set differently from every other team where, like, the defense is pretty much their better their best team, like, their, their best players. Roman Yossi specifically. But you also have, like, Ryan Ellis. Uh, you have uh, Matthias Ekholm. You have even, like, Dante Fabro as well. So I think, like, there's, there's a chance um, that Nashville, like, could make this an interesting series. Um... On the Carolina Hurricanes standpoint, um, it's interesting because I think like Peter Morazic's been pretty good when he's been healthy, but that's the issue is he hasn't been healthy. Um, and meanwhile, like James Reimer has been okay, but really Austin Delkovich has been amazing. <laughs> um, he he has had like a one point nine GAA, a save percentage of nine thirty two. He has the potential to be kind of like a Jordan Bennington type play uh, player because. 
Like, I think that's the thing with, like, Carolina in the past is that they have the forwards. They have the defense. They don't really have the goaltender. Like, I, I don't know if I can trust Peter Mrazek um, in a long playoff run. But I, I think I could see the potential in Alex Nadelkovich getting there at one point, And that could be this year. So I think Carolina does have what it takes. Um, but that is fully reliant on Alex Nadelkovich. But I don't think it's going to be like, like an easy route right now in the first round. I, I'm going to say that I think I have Carolina in seven. Uh, for that. Uh, so uh, what's on that note, what's your storyline, Steve? Uh, probably the storyline that I would go with um, is a tale of two defensemen, Roman Yossi versus Dougie Hamilton. I think both of them need to quarterback the offense. And, and sure, Carolina's got a lot of offensive forwards that can do that. But it's no secret that Dougie Hamilton can rack up the points. He's gone on a couple of massive point streaks in the past year or so. Um, I think if he really takes control of this series, um, Nashville is really on the ropes and very, very fast. Uh, just the way that Carolina's power play has clicked, as I mentioned, against Nashville this year, just the overall potency of their offense. I think Dougie is part of the straw that stirs the drink. And I think you're going to see him shine his very brightest, especially in a pivotal year um, heading into unrestricted free agency. We haven't really seen Dougie Hamilton um, thrive in a playoff series in quite some time at full strength. And just to, to me, this guy's just feeling it. So I can't wait to see what he does in the series. Keep a close eye on him. Right. Yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah, the Yossi and uh, um, Dougie Hamilton matchup is going to be kind of intriguing for sure. Um, so now we'll go to the Tampa Bay-Florida uh, matchup, which is kind of like something that I'm kind of looking forward to. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why I want Carolina to win because Carolina gets one of them in round two. Yeah. And that is must be. That's true. I mean, either team, it's, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's, it's interesting too. Cause like, obviously Florida isn't really known for its hockey, but it's, uh, and I think this is the first time that Florida and Tampa have played in the playoffs, but of course they've been in the same division. Uh, since yeah, I can't existence. confirm this is the first ever playoff yeah. matchup in the right. twenty plus years they've been in existence in this league. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's kind of an interesting aspect of everything. Um, so, so yeah, the Florida Panthers they have um, they have the two seed, um, and they have uh, Sergey. Um, so I guess obviously they have Alexander Barkov. Um, 58 points in 50 games. Jonathan Huberto, 61 points in 55 games. Uh, he's been really good. They also have like this guy, Carter Verhehe. Uh, Tampa is familiar with him because he was on their team last year. Uh, but he, he's he's kind of taken into his own uh, with uh, 36 points in 43 games. The thing that's interesting with Florida is they have a lot of interesting forward depth. And I think that's like kind of uh, what... You, let the Lightning usually do uh, is they have guys like Anthony Duclair, uh, Patrick Hornquist, Alex Wenberg, Frank Vitrano, 
Sam Bennett's getting into the mix. He has 15 points in 10 games. Uh, Nikita Gusev's another one, five points in 11 games. Those are obviously all, um, you know, taken uh, after, you know, those were trade deadline guys. Uh, they also have uh, Owen Tippett, who's making some noise occasionally. Sure, they don't have Aaron Ekblad, but they still have, like, Mackenzie Wieger, who has 36 points in 54 games. Um, which is crazy, too, because he, he's usually known as more of a shutdown defenseman. But he's kind of getting some points in uh, in other ways. Keith Yandel, there was that, like, speculation that he's going to get traded, but uh, he's been he's been okay um, in terms of points, 27 points in 56 games. And, of course, you have Joel Quenville as the coach. Uh, as for Tampa, um, they've been... Uh, really good and maybe even as good when you consider the fact that they didn't have Nikita Kucherov, who's their best player for the entire year. They're getting him back. They also have Steven Stamkos and they're getting him back um, for like maybe like a month, the last month or so. Um, And they're getting him back. And of course they won the Stanley cup last year. Uh, Braden point um, is the, the top point getter for them. 48 points in 56 games. Andre Palat's another one who's been pretty good with 46 points. Victor Hedman's been pretty good. He's probably winning the Norris, although it probably should be Adam Fox, but that's another discussion. Um, And then you have Yanni Gord, who's uh, kind of having a bounce back year. 36 points in in 56 games. Um, Even like guys like Mikhail Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, um, they, Blake Coleman, Alex Kilhorn, I mean, obviously Steven Stamkos has been pretty good too, but what I, I think that's like the interesting, intriguing part about it is that like you're getting Steven Stamkos fully healthy. You're also getting Nikita Kucherov, who's been like dying to be on the ice. Um, and that uh, I'm guess I'm foreshadowing what my, um, storyline is going to be, but um, but that's going to be pretty intriguing to watch is how they're going to handle that. Um, however, I think it's going to be a close series either way. And I, I guess I should talk about the goaltending. I think like, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky was better this year than he was last year. Um, but he still, <laughs> that's not saying much because uh, this year he had a 906 save percentage and a GAA of 2.91 which isn't great, but at least he has he had a winning record though, so that's all you can really ask for. Uh, nineteen, he went nineteen eight, and I think that was it. It doesn't say if he tied anything. Um, oh, nineteen eight and two, um, and then um, and then you have Chris Dreiger, um, who I I would suspect that if it gets starts to get really bad for Florida, Chris Dreiger will be the guy to stop. Stop the gap. Um, he has a 9.27 save percentage and a 2.07 GAA. What would be really crazy is if Spencer Knight comes in, and because he's been really, really good when he's uh, he's played, but he's only played in like three games that he started. Um, he has a 9.19 save percentage. Okay, so maybe not really, really good, but still pretty good. Uh, better than Sergey Bobrovsky. I'm in a 2.32. So that could be Florida's downfall is if one of those goaltenders, like, I don't don't have so much faith 
in Bobrovsky and Dreiger. Um, and of course, Vasilevsky is good in his own right. He's getting the Vezina. It's not even a question at this point. So, um, so that's, that'll be the, um, that'll be like the interesting part. And I could see that happening. However, like I mentioned, Florida has a lot of depth guys um, on the forward group, and that's going to cause Tampa some problems. I'm going to go with Florida in seven. I feel like that's like a hot pick, but it might be a little bit strange uh, considering that I feel like Tampa could easily win this in five. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm going to go with Florida in seven. I'd be disappointed if it doesn't go seven, period. Yep. Like, this this series has to go seven games. It it seems destined to go seven games. These two are neck and neck right from the drop of the puck. And it should be a very fun series. And if the last couple of games have shown anything, it's going to be a bloodbath too because um, there were instances in the final head-to-head meeting of the regular season between these two teams. There was, there was a fair bit of hatred in that. Yep. So I'm interested to see if – I don't think all of that will carry over because of the playoffs and you don't want to put your team in a bad spot, but there's definitely going to be some intensity after the whistles and it's uh, going to be an interesting rivalry there um, yep. that I think will only intensify next year after you get seven games of playoff intensity there of course. added to it. Um, so in the season series, Florida took five of eight from Tampa. The Bolts power play only went 17.2% in those eight games, which kind of seems small because it's Tampa Bay and we know what their offense can do. The Panthers won six straight games, eight of their last 10 to close out the regular season. Tampa went a decent 6-3-1 and one in their last 10 games, but uh, had dropped three in a row similar to Carolina. Um and a couple of those games were against Florida as well. So uh, the Panthers got a little bit of a leg up in that department too. You mentioned Florida's depth with the likes of Carter Verhage, Sam Bennett, Anthony Duclair, Alex Wenberg. Um, that theme of delivering, their bottom six delivering, um, that needs to continue for the Panthers as well with the likes of Owen Tippett. Um, at the same time, though, bottom six guys on Tim Bay like Blake Coleman – um, I've also picked it up since the trade deadline. You mentioned Yanni Gord as well. And Ross Colton had an impressive run. Maybe he gets thrown into some third-line, fourth-line roles and makes an impact himself. Who really knows? And you also have Alex Kalorn too. And then you add Nikita Kucherov into that mix. Sure, you're shaking off a bit of rust after not playing on the ice for several months. But still, it's freaking Nikita Kucherov, man. Like... That's a dynamic player that Florida's got to worry about, and they haven't had to deal with them all year. Um, so that could be a big X factor uh, for Tampa Bay. Um, Spencer Knight, honestly, wouldn't shock me if he becomes the number one goalie in this series. And I don't. I think they would probably turn to Spencer Knight before Chris Drieger if Bobrovsky struggles. Just the way that he's looked composed and – Probably less teams have been able to get a better read on his game, so to speak. So that could also play into their advantage um, for giving the reins to him and not Chris Drieger, just because the sample size is a bit smaller. And Mackenzie Weger, speaking of sample size, the sample size that he's been in this year, very, very impressive. And I expect him, along with Victor Hedman, to be leaders uh, for their respective blue lines. 
Um, in terms of what I look at for this series, can the Panthers solve Vasilevsky four times? Because if Bobrovsky struggles, you can go to Chris Drieger, and if he struggles, you could always go to Spencer Knight. Or you could go to Spencer Knight before Chris Drieger. Florida's got options there. Right. You look at Curtis McElhaney and Chris Gibson. I don't feel confident going to them if Florida gets in Vasilevsky's head. That spells trouble for Tampa Bay if they get under Vasilevsky and they chase him from the net. That is bad, bad news. So I think in the grand scheme of things, maybe they can beat Vasilevsky in one game. Maybe they can do it in two. Perhaps they can do it in three. But that fourth win is going to be awfully tough to get. And just knowing the freak athlete, the competitor that Vasilevsky is, the resume that he has, uh, the playoff experience that he has, that fourth win is going to be hell. They're going to have to climb several, several mountains, dodge boulders coming their way, like just get through absolutely every single obstacle known to mankind to get win number four. And I think as a team, Tampa Bay has been in those positions and they've grown a tendency to bend but not break under pressure. So for that reason and for that reason only, I am picking Tampa in seven games. But it won't shock me if Florida wins. It will not shock me in the slightest. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel the same way. Like that's pro- it's probably like a toss of a coin for for me with Florida and Tampa, um, which is interesting because like this has been like the first year I feel like where um, Florida like Florida is really good and it can like match Tampa, um, but um, but yeah, I I don't know. We'll see. Uh, as for storylines, I have, uh, obviously this is the Battle of Florida, that's kind of exciting. Um, I also have Battle of the Depth, um, I think that's another thing, both these teams have good forward depth, but I already talked about that, uh, just a couple minutes ago. Also, like, can Tampa repeat? Are they gonna, or are they gonna suffer some, uh, fatigue? Um, I also mentioned that Carter Verhege. He used to be on the fourth line of Tampa, and now he's on the first line in Florida. Um, and all of a sudden, he's like like a revelation, and he's really good. Um, yeah, I would, I would yeah. say started from the bottom, now we're here, but he won yeah. a Stanley Cup with Tampa, so right, I right. can't really say that. You can't really that. say that, yeah. <laughs> but he was, you could say that he wasn't, like if Carter Verhey wasn't on the team, Tampa would probably still win. So, yeah. Um, so you, you could. Um, you can make that case as well. But the storyline that I'm going to go with is the fact that uh, Nikita Kucherov hasn't played a game in the regular season at all. Uh, it looks like he's going to return and play. Uh, also, Steven Samkos, he was injured, like I think, in um, April. Um, and they're getting him back now. It looks like he's going to play as well. Uh, this is kind of what Tampa had in mind uh, uh, like, I mean, obviously it wasn't intentional. Like they, they obviously want Kucherov to play, uh, when they can, but you know, I think it was, we all kind of figured that Tampa, like Tampa's so good that they don't have their best player for a year and no one's surprised that they're in the playoffs. So it's, it's a uh, kind of crazy. Um, and I'm just curious to see like how Kucherov's going to be, um, 
just not playing for like six months. Um, so so that that's gonna be interesting. I'm sure. Like, you know, obviously he's a really good player. Obviously he's, like, top five player in the league uh, when healthy. Um, but, like, how soon will he be that guy? Um, that's that's certainly unclear. Um, and that could definitely affect Tampa in the during this whole playoff run if they do make it out in the first round. Uh, because, like, if Kucherov gets going... Like, watch out the rest of the league, because that's going to be something. Because, like, you know, Tampa's pretty good right now, but they're going to be even better when Kucherov's there. Same can be said for Stamkos. Um, he, you know, he he did play a couple of games, um, 30, in fact, uh, during this regular season. But, um, but, you know, he hasn't been as good as he used to be. Um, and I am curious to, I, I always feel like there is some hope that like once the player comes back from injury and takes some time off, they start to like figure th- things out and they start to recover and they're like fully healthy or something like that. So Stamkos playing really, really well, um, is also something to look out for as well. And it's just interesting that like, this is one of those things where like Tampa didn't have their two best players. I guess Braden Point is kind of maybe their second best player at this point, but obviously I'm talking about skaters because Vasilevsky is also pretty good too. Um, but, um, but like they don't have like their two key guys and they're still like, you know, they still made it to the playoffs. They're still like one of the top teams in the league. That just shows how good Tampa is in the depth department. Um, and I'm just curious to see like that factor of like, Will, how good will Kucherov play, um, and how good will Stamkos play when they return? Um, so, so that that will be the interesting, intriguing part for me um, in this series. Yeah, for sure, and I I think it's going to be a very, very, very intense matchup. As I said before, it'll be interesting how. Um, Radko Gudis is uh, going to factor into it as well, because I think in order to like get under Tampa Bay skin, um, a guy like Gudis uh, could also be a, a pretty big influence on the series when it comes to getting the star players mm-hmm. off their game. Cause I really don't think Tampa has any of those guys to like counter uh, what Radko Gudis uh, can do to them. True. So, I think the closest thing they can get is Luke Shen. And even then, I don't know if it's enough to counter Gudis. Yeah, that's a good point. That I didn't really think of the toughness factor. There is like Barclay, Goudreau that I think Tampa Possibly, does. yeah. Because um, that was like a big reason why like I felt like a lot of people were saying like that's why Tampa made it in a big run was because they had guys like Barclay, Goudreau. And I guess maybe Patrick Maroon in terms Maroon's of the, one, the, yeah. the pesky side of things, but yeah. I I think he's, he definitely has doesn't have the size that Gudis has, that's for sure. Right, right, right. All right, we're now going to our last division here. It's the North Division, also the, the division that's going to start the latest because uh, I think pretty much all these series that we just talked about are going to be like, in like game three or game two, um, and the North Division is just going to start because they still have to wait for Vancouver to finish their season, 
and they still have to wait for, I think, Calgary is going to finish their season. But either way... Well, Vancouver so, and Calgary are playing each other three times. Yeah, yeah. So they, they had to wait for Edmonton to play uh, Vancouver yeah. for their final game and for Toronto to play Winnipeg on right. Friday for their final game. Yeah. So now that that's done, the teams have gone to the respective locations toronto and edmonton to prepare for the series and i think they're starting wednesday thursday and i think edmonton or i think calgary and vancouver are going to wrap up i think wednesday's their final yeah. game it's, it's either just, tuesday or wednesday it's just so strange because it's like <laughs> those like two teams are like it would be one thing if calgary or vancouver would have like the potential of making the playoffs but it's just so strange that like it's like, why are we even playing those games? It's like, you know, it, it, you know, it could be to decide the yeah. lottery. Who knows? Yeah, I guess, I guess there's that, but it's just like, it's like it doesn't matter. No one's. I don't even think Canucks fans or Flames fans are watching these games. It's yeah, just, I think everyone in those yeah. fan bases are just like, get this over with. Right, right, right. So it's just, just be like, done with the season. Yeah, focus on next year. I guess they have to do it just because then you like it would be an incomplete season, technically true. speaking. And there's also TV yeah. contracts, too. That's true. That That's true, too. Yeah. As well. And both, uh, both, I believe, are Rogers' property, too. Right, right. So yeah, they, they need to make their money somehow, even if it's three meaningless games, and true. they mean nothing to either team. And I think there's still, like, fans that are allowing fans in those stadiums, too. So no, like, oh, no. No, I can't. I, I, if there were fans allowed in a Canadian arena, I definitely would have heard it. Uh, okay. Not in any of the seven cities in Canada. Oh, they've done that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hopefully next year. I would hope by next year, the start yep. of next year, that will happen. But well, actually, happen. okay, that that's interesting because that kind of takes me to uh, the other thing that we kind of talked about before the show. But we're we're not really sure what's going to happen when it's the final f- four. Uh, because yeah. uh, we're, I think uh, you you mentioned that uh, there the NHL is waiting till June first and asking Canada what what's the deal and then they'll go from there. But it's still so risky to do it like that because I I would imagine they'll they're still Canada's still going to be hesitant. But it's interesting because now like Canada used to be the safe safer than U.S. But now with the vaccines and the U.S. has been more um up you know has been more um uh uh, what's the word i'm thinking of has been faster with the vaccines um and cares about it um uh biden is awesome uh (laughs) but the uh uh, they also can make their own vaccines at their factories whereas canada can't they're basically getting vaccines uh imported to them but I will say I that maybe it would go a little bit faster if Canada uh, opened their borders some more. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> there's something there. Uh, that, uh, I that's not gonna happen, and I'll be honest, I'll be pissed if if they open it too soon. Yeah, but I mean, uh, a lot of U.S. is getting vaccinated. You're gonna get your vaccine sooner um, if that happens. Um, anyways. That, that let's stay off politics. Um, ter, uh, so the first matchup here is uh, Toronto and Montreal. Uh, this is also interesting because we went from like one Atlantic Division matchup. This is the second Atlantic Division matchup. I also was just like doing this in my free time, but 
Uh, the Central Division has five teams in the playoffs, but they're spread around um, each all the, all four divisions. Um, but uh, the uh, um, Atlantic has uh, five, but like two of them are facing off against each other. So like you're guaranteed that you're gonna have two Atlantic Division uh, teams in the second round. It just depends on if Boston can uh, make that three or not. Um, uh, whereas like, I guess theoretically you could have like Nashville, Minnesota or Nash, uh, yeah, Nashville, um, maybe Minnesota, Colorado, St. Louis. Um, and then you have, um, oh wait, I guess the central doesn't have a team in the East division. So I'm wrong on that front, but, (laughs) but they still have five. And then you have Winnipeg winning or something, but, um, but yeah, so, but they don't, uh, but only one of those teams are playing against each other. So that's, that's an interesting element to it all. Um, anyways, we're going to Toronto and Montreal here to start. Um, so of course, uh, Toronto is really good. They have a bunch of forwards. We talk about them a lot with Marner, Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander, um, they also have some good depth players in Morgan Riley, Zach Hyman, uh, Jason Spezza um, even has had his moments as well. Uh, but it, like, if you're thinking of the Maple Leafs, it's those first four guys that I just talked about. Marner, Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander. That's a big reason why they're so good. Um, and so, yeah, so good. Um, and they also have... Um, yeah, Morgan Riley um, on the defensive side of things. Um, and then uh, just from the goaltending standpoint, um, you know, there's uh, Frederick Anderson. Um, he's been injured every now and then, um, but he's still been decent. Um, well, actually, he has a 2.96 GAA and a sub-900 save percentage. Uh, keep in mind, this is the Canadian division, and we did a whole episode about that um that like offense was very heavy especially when you have guys like Connor mcdavid um on your in your division um and then you have jack campbell which makes this even more impressive is that he has a 921 save percentage and a 215 uh 2.15 gaa um and he went 17 3 and uh 2 um in those games um, and he's been really, really good. And it's interesting, too, because, like, I mean, obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs don't have to face the Bruins. But I think a big reason why Toronto lost those Game 7s was, I mean, in part, yes, like, you know, Toronto wasn't, like, you know, the forward group wasn't necessarily stepping up in the big moments. But Frederick Anderson also, there was a couple of goals in those Game 7s where, you're like, okay, Frederick Anderson probably should have had those. So it's inter- I feel like Jack Campbell is the guy um, that can help them and save them in the playoffs. Um, and they're playing uh, Montreal, who's kind of a mess <laughs> a little bit. Uh, they are, um, they, I mean, they're, they're a good team. Uh, they deserve to be here, obviously. But um, they also, you know, they have guys like, Tyler Toffoli, um, who had 44 points in 52 games. So he's had a breakout year um, in this new, um, on his new team. Jeff Petrie has kind of been 
has also broken out 42 points in 55 games. Uh, Nick Suzuki has also broken out a lot of breakouts this year uh, for them. Uh, Josh Anderson's another one who's, I mean, I guess he hasn't really broken out, but he's also had like 17 goals in 52 games, um, and, and that's pretty good uh, for them. Um, and then Philip Deneau and Thomas Tatar, but for the most part, they, they still aren't as strong as Toronto is on the forward group things. Um, the interesting thing with the goaltenders for Montreal is Carey Price. I mean, yes, he's like, if you mention Carey Price to anyone, you're like, yes, he's a really good goaltender. He's probably going to the Hall of Fame. However, like this season was not his finest. It's not something you want to submit on it on your resume if you're Carey Price. Um, he, uh, he has a 2.64 GAA and a 901 save percentage. Um, also, I mean, obviously keep in mind that, you know, goaltenders, um, in this division <laughs> didn't have the greatest, uh, st- stats in, in that regard, but, um, still you would expect something a little bit better for someone of Carey Price's caliber. You expect something more, especially when a big reason why, the Habs got, ended up getting Jake Allen was so that they could keep the stress of they don't um, of off of Carey Price, so they don't have to rely on Carey Price to win them games. Um, and they ended up getting Jake Allen, who's who's been who's been playing better than Carey Price um, marginally. Uh, not he has a nine oh seven save percentage. Uh, but has a slightly worse GAA than Price does with a 2.68 GAA. Um, but, you know, he went 11, 12, and 5. Um, and, yeah, I, I think a large reason why Montreal was even in was that Calgary Calgary wasn't good. Ottawa and Vancouver are not doing, are, are not doing well either. So it's like Montreal um, is just in it. Um, and it's pretty much, you know, like Toronto, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, and Montreal is just the the team that's going to uh, lose because they're not on the same caliber as those other three teams. Um, but that, you know, that doesn't mean that Montreal is going to um, lose games um, or is, is going to be swept. I hate sw- predicting sweeps. I'm going to say Toronto in five. So, Toronto what, in five yeah, what's your prediction? And then we'll do storylines. And I'll do my story. All right. Uh, so, this this year has been a long time coming. Uh, first of all, Toronto winning its first division title since 99-2000. <laughs> yeah, it's been that long. Been almost as long as them winning a playoff series. Sorry to turn the knife leaf fans. Uh, this is also the second straight time Montreal's made the playoffs. They won it, they made it last year because oh, remember that time where they were supposed to have a match against the Penguins? Yeah, that's what we all thought. And then they won that series in four games. Didn't even need five games to beat them. Uh season series, Toronto won seven of nine meetings against the Habs. Uh shots on goal per game, though, was almost dead even between those two teams. Um, so the scoring chances were, for the most part, relatively close. But with all the firepower the Leafs have, um, that proved to be more than enough for Toronto to eke out some close wins. And there were some very close games, uh, especially down the stretch, which it 
basically tells you right away this isn't going to be a cakewalk no matter who wins. Uh, in terms of head-to-head matchups, believe it or not, we haven't seen Toronto-Montreal in the playoffs since 1979. That year was the only prior quarterfinal matchup prior to this one. The only time they met in the quarters was 79. They uh, met up seven times in the finals, and they also had seven semifinal matchups. So this is the 16th all-time head-to-head meeting in the NHL playoffs. Montreal won eight of the first 15 against Toronto. Last victory, a four-game sweep back in 1979. And uh, Toronto, they have emerged victorious seven times against Montreal. Their last win was, you guessed it, the 1967 Stanley Cup Finals. Yes, it all comes back to 1967 for Toronto, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, you mentioned uh, all of the big names on Toronto and Montreal there. It sounds like Carey Price, Brendan Gallagher, Philip Deneau, they could play on Monday. Drouin is still uncertain, I believe, still taking a leave of absence there. Um, I would say Gallagher is definitely the heart and soul of the team. And um, I I think his spirit uh, is – he's one of those spirits that basically lights a fire under that entire team. Like he can be a difference maker just by being on the ice and doing his thing. He's that type of player. And they've shown in the past as a team, the Montreal Canadiens, to be giant killers – which is why I look at the Leafs and I say, yeah, they have the advantage in a lot of the right situations, but do they really have the advantage? Because Montreal straight up doesn't care. Right. Like, yeah, the Leafs have Nick Felino and Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and Zach Hyman's all-around game, and they brought in T.J. Brody to help Jake Muzzin uh, add stability to the blue line, which they've lacked in the past. And they have Jack Campbell, who is – playing Andrew Hammond Hamburglar territory. Who cares? Montreal doesn't care. They are in the playoffs. They think they have a shot, and they're going to put their best foot forward here. I think one of two things is going to happen. Either the Leafs are going to win Game 7 overtime by the skin of their teeth, or they get swept by the Habs. Wow. It's, it's going to be one of those two. I don't think it's going to be one of those easy coasting series for the Leafs. It'll either be euphoric celebration or just a Columbus-Tampa Bay 2019 nightmare. And <laughs> Leafs Twitter explodes. Right. Either way, Leafs Twitter is going to explode. They're, they're going to explode in joy or they're just going to turn on each other. Um and and I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. This is this is the matchup that I think a lot of hockey fans were hoping would happen. Um, but I'm going to take Toronto in seven games. I definitely think it's not going to be an easy walk for them. But if it, it it's going to be a colossal failure if they don't win. Like at the very least, they need to make the conference finals. If they don't even win a playoff round, it's sheer embarrassment. Yep. So Toronto needs to find a way to get it done, and I think they will. Yeah, it's that's interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm if anyone knows that Toronto usually chokes in the playoffs, it would be a Bruins fan. So I am aware <laughs> of that. However, I like I'm also a Bruins fan, and I am also critical of Montreal. And um, I don't think Montreal is even at the like maybe even two levels 
uh, to Toronto. So I, I think they'll get it done, but, um, but you're right. If, if any team, uh, messes this up, it, it's going to be Toronto because they usually do, which takes me to the storyline because as you mentioned to and alluded to, uh, well, first off, this is an original six matchup. So that's kind of cool and exciting. Um, also, I, I did mention Jack Campbell. Will he be the guy? Um, and I, I think he could be. Um, you're you're somehow thinks he, you equate, compared him to Andrew Hammond, which is pretty crazy. To I, me. I, I mean, the run that he's on, yeah, it definitely has shades of the Hamburglar. Yeah, like, but the like team is just the difference up. is is that Andrew Hammond like had one year when he like that year when he was really good. Whereas, like, Jack, I mean, yes, uh, given that Jack Campbell, like, this is also his first year that he's been really good, but Jack Campbell has also, like, like a big reason why he wasn't doing so well beforehand was he wasn't really the starter on any of his teams, and he was injured for a lot of that time. So he's, he's not really equatable to Andrew Hammond. If you wanted to make a comparison... Yeah. I'd say maybe like uh yeah Jordan Pennington would be a, a an, yeah okay yeah. that 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 would be, would be more a better would be a better like, comparison because yeah because both of them had similar kind of hype right. going into their draft years yeah, yeah. yeah. okay Jor- Jordan Pennington you're right I'll I'll, I'll give you that that's okay. a more accurate description Anyways. than, than the so handler. so it's like but it's it's a Hamburglar esque yeah. type of run in the sense that he goes on the ice and all he does is win games. right 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 so so I and I, I already t- s- talked about where I feel like Jack Campbell um, could be the difference um, in making the mm-hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs making this run. But my actual storyline is, and it's kind of tied with that, is will Toronto make it out of the first round? And Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is that, like, like on paper, Toronto is the best team. Um, they, like, they're better on forwards. They're better in, um, they're better on defense. Uh, more or less better on defense and they're better in goaltending. Um, and, and so on paper, Toronto should win this. They should even sweep them. But also this is the same team that like we said the same thing last year. We said the same thing two years ago. So like it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like if any team like there's Colorado, uh, Carolina, uh, Pittsburgh and um, and Toronto, those are the top one seeds. But like I, I but like I feel like like Colorado's probably safe and they're probably making it to the next round. Carolina, I did make a case that Nashville could win, but I, like it's it's probably unlikely. Um, the Islanders and Pittsburgh, I could definitely see uh, the Islanders winning. Um, but, but, you know, I have the Pittsburgh winning. But, like, for Toronto, it's like, this is the easiest matchup of, like, the top one seeds. I, <laughs> I'm still not sure if Toronto is able to do that. You don't and believe so, it until you see the... Exactly. And even though I did pick Toronto in five, I, I like, there is that other part of my brain that's like, yeah, like, it's just like, like, like you could be wrong. Like, 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 if you're right that Montreal does win this this series, I'll be like, of course. Why was I so stupid in believing that Toronto <laughs> was able to make it out of the first round? So they'll probably get shut yeah. out in the final. Right, right, right. So, so, so that, year. so it's like, 
Yes, like, like I like, and also I think there's also a part of it where I'm like, like the NHL we need a Matthews and McDavid playoff series, like, and that's probably not going to happen in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I mean, we'll we'll talk about Edmonton in a second, but. Well, the best has, chance for it to happen yeah, is this year. Especially because Toronto and Edmonton are going to be in different conferences uh, next year. And, um, mm-hmm. and it, like, yeah, Matthews and McDavid are both in their prime right now. And it, it, it could be possible that they'll meet in the Stanley Cup Finals. But, uh, like, this is the easiest way that we're going to see both of those teams. So I really want to see Toronto and Edmonton. That's, like, the only thing I'm hoping for. Obviously, I'm hoping for the Bruins to win the Cup. But that's the second thing that, like, I'm rooting for that even more than <laughs> than anything else uh, going on. Um, and that's impressive because Boston's in this, <laughs> in this playoffs. Um, so, so, like, I, if my heart was here, I would, I think Toronto's going to win. But I think, like, there's also, like, the this tiny part of me that's going, like, uh, Toronto, Toronto is Toronto. They're gonna they're gonna be Leafs. They're gonna be the Leafs like they usually do. And if Toronto ends up losing to Montreal like this, this is their best shot of making it to the conference finals. Um, then yeah, they have to rethink everything. They have to like burn the team down, um, basically, because uh, they they can't. Like it's one thing to lose to the Bruins um, in the first round for the, ne- the last two years, but. You just you just can't lose to Montreal. You just can't. So um, I'm I'm pulling for you, Toronto. I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, but yeah, you, you just can't lose to Montreal. That's how I, that's that. I'll just leave it at that. Um, now we'll go to our last thing, and I just talked about it, but I'll I'll have you have your predictions, and and then we'll do you know the same thing that we've always done. Uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg. What do you got, Steve? Well, this is the first head-to-head playoff matchup since the Jets returned to the NHL in 2011. So um, both teams, I think, have waited for this for a long time, especially when you look at the talent that Winnipeg is. And, of course, you had the tandem of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Of course, the many other times they faced off against each other when it was the original Winnipeg Jets, um, there was actually six all-time playoff series between – the Edmonton Oilers, and the old-school Winnipeg Jets. And those Edmonton Oilers, you know, they had the likes of Wayne Gretzky and Yuri Curry and Mark Messier. And they ex- they did what pretty much everyone expected, which is win every series they played Winnipeg. Six playoff matchups, six Edmonton wins. Out of those six playoff series, Winnipeg won four of 26 games. So, straight up, Edmonton just slapped Winnipeg around from start to finish in those playoff meetings. This year, in the regular season, hey, more of the same. Edmonton wins seven of nine meetings, and McDavid was basically the Jets' daddy for the entire season. The offensive numbers speak for themselves. Uh, In terms of the final 7-10 game, in terms of the final 10 games, rather, Edmonton won seven of its final 10 Winnipeg did the other thing, dropped seven of its final ten, although they did get a little bit of confidence with some key wins uh, towards the end of the year against uh, Calgary and Toronto, I believe. So that that was good to see. Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, 
Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but the past eight games, they've been on fire. Both of them have eight-game point streaks going into this playoff series. Over that eight-game span, they combined for 12 goals, 26 assists, and 38 points. No big deal. Just your typical day at the office. To put that into perspective, Tyson Berry, third on the team in scoring with seven points in that eight-game period, which seven points in eight games, hey, yeah, that's pretty good. That's almost a point per game. Not at McDavid Dreisaitl levels, though, <laughs> which which basically just goes to show you how much they drive the offense in Edmonton. And I have a feeling that in order for the Oilers to do much of anything, that needs to change. There needs to be more production uh, from other sections of the team. And there has been some, but I feel like more is needed. Uh, speaking of depth, uh, Andrew Kopp provided a lot of it in his early days with the Jets this year. Uh, finished with 15 goals, 24 assists, 39 points in 55 games. Pretty good, but not nearly at the pace that he was going at uh, earlier this year. So if they can get some depth scoring out of him in the playoffs, that would be great. The other thing that they need is Connor Hallibuck to figure out the Oilers' offense and get back in the saddle. In April of 2021, that 30-day span did not go well for him uh, individually. He went 4-6-0 in 12 decisions with a 3.05 GAA, one shutout, and an 8.98 save percentage. The good news is, since the turn of the next month, May 1st, he's gone 3-1-0 in four decisions with a 1.26 GAA, 9.56 save percentage, and a pair of and a pair of shutouts, so he's on the right track again, which is good. Um, I I just think overall, um, Edmonton just has a lot of firepower to contain. They're very sour, I would imagine, about the way last year ended. Again, similar to Pittsburgh, Montreal, they had the advantage against Chicago, and yet they got behind the eight ball in the first game. They couldn't recover. And they lost three of four, didn't even qualify for the playoffs. And they easily should have been in the playoffs because they were head and shoulders a better team than Chicago was that year. And I can bet you they're a determined bunch. McDavid and Drysdale in particular, they're de- they're a determined bunch. Like you look at <laughs> you look at the stat line of McDavid and Drysdale. Like you have McDavid alone first in scoring right then you have Drysdale right below him McDavid assists are third in scoring like like I don't know how much meta you can get if you're Connor McDavid when your assists put you put you third in scoring right you just take away all your goals you're still a top three scorer in the league like that's just crazy numbers um so I think aside from all of the offensive gloating that McDavid and Drysdale have done they haven't lost sight of their objective. The team hasn't either. And they're going to prove it in this series. It might not be the prettiest of wins, but I think Edmonton's going to prevail in seven games. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, the thing with... Well, the thing that's interesting with Edmonton is, like, yeah, they have Connor McDavid. They have Leon Dreisaitl. They also have some good depth pieces with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, and even, like, Jesse Pugliarvi, who has finally lived up to expectations. Um, and then you also have, like, Collier Yamamoto, who's kind of struggling compared to what he was last year. But he's still decent. 
Um, and then you have like, you know, Tyson Berry, who's helped out, Darnell Nurse, who's helped out in the defensive side of things. Um, but then you have like the fact that like Mike Smith, he's, he's the, about the same, I think he's the same age as Craig Anderson, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, uh, but he's had like a really good year all of a sudden. And it, as I've been talking about the fact that like the Canadian division is like very offense heavy, of course, because you have Austin Matthews, you have Connor McDavid, you have Leon Dreisaitl all in your division. But, um, but like, I mean, Mike Smith only has to deal with like Austin Matthews, of course, cause he's on Edmonton, but like Mike Smith still has like a nine twenty three save percentage, a GAA of two point three one, um, and and that's pretty good. Like even like in a regular season where you're not playing like offensive heavy teams, um, and you know, do you, like I guess it's similarly to Toronto, uh, Edmonton has struggled in the past for their defensive side of things. So it's like it's either like the defense got better, which is which is possible and probably true but like also like Mike Smith has kind of picked it up and, and been that guy and like even last year that was a big concern for Edmonton was it's like yes you have Connor McDavid you have Leon Dreisaitl two best players in the league but what else do you have and Mike Smith could be that x factor I feel like for this playoff run it's all going to be dependent on Mike Smith for that for that role um and then in terms of Winnipeg which I'll, I'll talk a little bit about too is um, they're they're good in their own right. Um, I mean, Connor Hellebuck didn't have like the Vezina level uh, season like he had last year, but he still was pretty good. Um, he had a nine sixteen save percentage, a two point five eight GAA, which is which is decent considering what I just talked about uh, with uh, it being the Canadian division and all. Um, then you also have like Mark Scheifele, who's who's like become like a top ten player this year. Kyle Connor. Um, has also been pretty good. Nikolai Ehlers um, has been like has had a bounce back year. Same with Blake Wheeler. Um, it's also interesting that like they do get Pierre Luc Dubois, but he hasn't really been as good as we thought he would be um, in this lineup. Um, where you have uh, he has twenty points in forty one games. That's okay, but like I think the Winnipeg Jets would rather have Patrick Laine at this point. Or uh, Jack Jack Roslovic at this point too, so um, that's an interesting part. You also have the establishment of Andrew Kopp being pretty good now, um, thirty nine points in fifty five games. Mason Appleton um, has had his moments too with twenty five points in fifty six games. Adam Lowry's another one there too, um, but so they do have some depth there. But I feel like I think part of me just wants to see a McDavid Matthews. Uh, matchup so badly that I'm gonna say it's Edmonton, but I could very well see Winnipeg um, upsetting Edmonton and ruining my dreams of seeing that that matchup. So, um, so I'm gonna go with Edmonton in six um, because I feel like Connor McDavid's going to figure out uh, Connor Hellebuck. Um, it's the battle of the Connors. That I, I hope that's the storyline for you. But uh, so, what is your storyline, Steve? Oh, we got a lot of Connors. Connor yeah, Hellebuck, exactly. Kyle Connor, Connor McDavid. Right, yeah, it's true. Kyle Connor's another yeah, one. Yeah, that's, that's three Connors. Yep. Keeping up with the Connors. Um, I think the storyline is Mike Smith. If he just keeps pace with Connor Hellebuck, 
in terms of making the big saves, I think Edmonton's in very good hands. If they're not, this could go south very, very fast. Like, Miko Koskinen, I think, is a serviceable backup. I really think so. Uh, and he did what he could against Chicago, but it just wasn't enough uh, to get Edmonton into a winning position. There were a couple of one-goal games that they lost. There were a couple of leads that they blew, and that went against them. It all started with a very suspect 30 to 40 minutes in game one from Mike Smith. For whatever reason, there were a couple of suspect goals that went past him, and that kind of put the wheels in motion for Edmonton's downfall. That can't happen two years in a row. Mike Smith needs to keep pace with Connor Hallibuck. He needs to have a good series, and he needs to make the timely saves. And I think Winnipeg Jets fans will be very happy if that doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I, mean, I just talked about Mike Smith, but yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page now, um, which is which is interesting. Um, okay, so now we covered all of these matchups here. Um, so let's. Uh, the last two questions we have here is, um, who do we have in our final four, and who do we have winning the Stanley Cup? Um, so for me, I have. I have to go with Boston um, in the East. Um, I think it's tough for me. It's either Colorado or Vegas in the West Division, but uh, I, I think I'll go with Colorado there. Uh, Central, I'm going to go with Florida. I think Florida has what it takes. Um, and then in the North, I'm going to go with Edmonton. Um, and then in the Stanley Cup, I, I it's probably a homer in me and I'm going to uh, hate it more, but I, I still have to keep with, I think it's going to be the Bruins um, against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, and I think the Bruins are going to win. Mm. So you, you think 1990 flashbacks, eh? 1980. Yeah. Or what was it? 19. I thought it was 1980, but you might be right. 1990. Well, 1990, they faced off Edmonton, won that game, right. and there was also that like triple overtime, however long that yep. game went. The Boston Garden, the power went out, and then Peter Klima, who's bent for three hours, scores the winner. Right, right. That, that, that was, was one. A, that yeah. was a classic, classic game. Right, right, right. Classic games. Um. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's see. In terms of the North Division, I think it's going to be Toronto's year. Wow. Or they at least make it to the Final Four. Okay. At least they're going to make it to the Final Four. They at least deserve that. Yep. I think Islanders are going to represent the East. They're built for the playoffs. I think they can do it again. And uh, last year just made them hungry for more. So I think they have what it takes. West is a coin flip. Um, so between, see, if if Colorado's goaltending is their undoing, if it comes down to goaltending, I think Vegas has got Colorado beat there. So, oh boy. Although I do kind of want Colorado in there. Um it's tough. Um, I'm, I'm going to go Vegas. It's going to be close, but I'm going to go Vegas there. And then for the Central, um, I'll go Hurricanes. Hurricanes? I think, All right. 
Yeah, I think Carolina's got what it takes. So Carolina, Vegas, Islanders, Maple Leafs. Yeah, okay. And who do you have winning? Um, I think I think Carolina's going to win. Carolina's going to win. I think I think their tandem's good. They're loaded top to bottom. I think they have the coaching. I think they have everything to make a playoff run, and um, a bunch of jerks are going to do it. Wow! All right. Well, that's that's uh, you heard it here first. Um, all right. That concludes our playoff stuff. Um, we're gonna we'll probably talk about you know we decided to skip the briefly mentions, but if we were to have one, we'll probably talk about. Jack Eichel um, having some words. David Quinn uh, gets fired and all that stuff. But we'll cover that next week uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and, oh, yeah, and I guess the Blackhawks have some interesting off-ice issues as well. Um, but other than that, we're, uh, we're going to get you – we're still going to get you covered for the playoffs. It's an exciting time the season where it feels like I know like the bubble playoffs happened and all that stuff but really this this feels like it's actually the playoffs um because I think it, it's just in part because they're fans in the stands and all that stuff but um you did kind of when you mentioned that there's going to be no fans in the Canadian division I was just like uh right so it's like i i kind of liked seeing all the fans and you know yeah these teams, that but... could also be an interesting element too because yeah. that's something we didn't have in the playoffs last right. year if montreal had their fans that that or could be toronto. definitely a turning yeah. point in the series for sure or toronto yeah or i mean any yeah, of these toronto teams. As well, yeah. <laughs> yeah any of these teams pretty much um but uh but yeah so that that's uh definitely interesting for sure um but um yeah so that's about it uh if you want to you're probably listening to us on soundcloud itunes or spotify um or wherever else you get your podcast um you know subscribe to us or follow us on any of those platforms um our uh twitter is lace up podcast our facebook is lace them up um, I'm enjoying these playoffs and I look forward to more of these. It's kind of cool that the first three games went into overtime, um, even though I didn't watch one of them. Um, I guess there's a, the, the Battle of Florida is happening in five minutes for us. Uh, so hopefully that goes into overtime. That would be exciting. Um, mm-hmm. but that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk to you again in episode 270 of the Lace Up Podcast.